BirdNote presents. This is the English version of this episode. Si quieres escuchar la versión en español, busca Threatened en Español en tu aplicación de podcast o puedes encontrar un enlace en las notas del programa. This is a story of survival. The Puerto Rican parrot, also known as the Puerto Rican Amazon, is endemic to Puerto Rico and endangered. The birds have faced deforestation, hurricanes, and the exotic pet trade, driving their numbers to almost zero at one point. But today, remarkably, their population has come back, and it's stabilizing. To get here, though, the people who allowed this achievement to be possible had to make some pretty difficult trade-offs. Today on Threatened, the story of how this parrot's recovery is riddled with setbacks and triumphs, resilience and compromise. It comes to us from producer Mariana Reyes in Puerto Rico. I'm Ari Daniel. Hi, Ari. How you doing? I'm good, Mariana. So tell me, what drew you to the Puerto Rican parrot in the first place? Well, there are, of course, here a lot of birds, 17 of which are endemic to Puerto Rico, which is not a large number. But I mean, uh, we're an island that it's 100 by 35 miles. So it's a pretty small island. Um, the Puerto Rican parrot within those 17 birds is, um, I think, one of the best known by the public, even though many people have never seen one. When we were kids in the 80s, you would see green parrots flying around and we would think it was a Puerto Rican parrot, but it wasn't. It was actually the Dominican or Hispaniolan parrot. So getting a chance to go and actually see the parrot, it's not usual, you know, to be able to actually be in the same space with them. But the parrot has still become a national symbol right there with the coquille frog as an animal that represents Puerto Ricans because of their story of resilience. I wonder if we love our parrot because we identify with the struggle to survive. So to get to know these birds and to find out their story, I had to get out of the city. I'm driving from San Juan to Rio Abajo, a barrio located between the towns of Arecibo and Utuado. The trip is a little more than an hour, and the road borders the coast before heading inland towards the mountains. I want to meet biologist Ricardo Valentin and his co-workers that are part of the conservation program led by the Department of Natural and Environmental Resources. Ricardo manages the Jose Avivaldi Aviary, where they keep the captive parrots. The effort has been very successful in recent years in their mission of breeding and protecting the Puerto Rican parrot. Like I said, it is quite unusual to see one of these parrots outside certain areas of the island. The only parrot that I see on the way there are the ones painted on beach towels for sale by the road, Carretera Número Dos, alongside hammocks and wooden mortars to smash plantains. The last segment of road is very narrow, surrounded by nothing but trees. Finally, I arrive at a gate in the middle of the forest. I get out of the car and call Ricardo on the intercom. Hola. 
Estamos en la entrada. At the heart of Rio Abajo, Ricardo's home is surrounded by trees and, of course, birds. Parrots aren't usually friendly to humans, but Ricardo's lived among them for 23 years, so they visit his wooden balcony where they eat and roam freely. On a tree by the balcony, there is an artificial nest made of plastic and wood that serves as a breeding space for wild parrots. The parrots are his only neighbors and who Ricardo sees first thing in the morning. Lucky for me, Ricardo is friendly to humans, even though, like the parrots, he doesn't see people often. But there's a magical thing that helps me in this loneliness, and it's called the internet. <laughs> so do you have a good connection? Yeah, I pay a lot for it. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if I could not argue with strangers. <laughs> Online? Online, because it can get really boring here. If you have to spend like 40 minutes driving just to eat an ice cream, you think, do I really want to eat an ice cream if I had to drive 80 minutes? No. So I spend most of my time here. That's amazing. He's got to do a lot of meal preparation, like meal planning. Right, I'm, I know that. I don't know, that just seems like a big logistical effort. But he did mention that he's very organized in that sense. I buy huge amount of groceries mm -hmm. once a month, or sometimes uh, once every two months. Ricardo has been living in Rio Abajo with his friends, the parrots, since the late 90s. But for most of his life, Ricardo wasn't around parrots at all. That's because when he was a child, the population of parrots was very low. The modernization of the island construction of suburban-style homes and buildings took a toll on our forest. Even before that, by the end of the 19th century, many trees were destroyed. By 1912, less than 1% of Puerto Rico's forests were virgin. The old trees were torn down, trees that parrots rely on for their homes because they nest in holes in the tree's trunks. When the trees were torn down, the workers would take the parrot chicks out of their nests to sell in the exotic pet trade. So it was a double whammy. This was the 1950s. It was a time when many Puerto Rican people were also trying to survive. At those times, you could work for two weeks to earn 45 cents. And 45 cents could let you have a family. Uh, you know, in poor conditions, but you could survive. But a baby parrot could be sold for $2. So there was a premium. You could make some money that today will be like the salary of a month for a person selling the babies. Workers could sell a parrot shake for the equivalent of a month's work of tearing down trees. By the 50s, you could only find Puerto Rican parrots around the east, around El Yunque Forest. El Yunque, it's a beautiful rainforest on the eastern side of the island, right? El Yunque was established as a federal forest many years ago, but it has always been protected because it was a sacred place for the Tainos, our first inhabitants. El Yunque, or Yukiyu, was their god of protection that would stop or fight the god of evil, Huracán. Wow, Huracán, that sounds like the word hurricane. Exactly. 
Hurricane is a word derived from the Taino language, and it was used to name that force of nature that would destroy everything on its path. El Yunque served as a barrier for those hurricanes that entered the island from the east. In the 1900s, El Yunque was closed to the public and used for military operations. Many acres were logged during World War II, and it was used for radiation and Agent Orange testing for the Vietnam War. After efforts were directed towards preservation decades ago, access was fairly easy. People could just walk in and enjoy nature or jump into the river. But ever since Hurricane Maria, the federal authorities changed the system and it is now necessary to make reservations prior to every visit. And all of that is part of the complexity of our colonial history. Yeah, it sounds like there was a real significant colonial influence at work. Well, of course. I mean, this bird is an endemic bird. When the Tainos inhabited the island more than 500 years ago, it was called the Iguaca. It was a very important part of their culture. And obviously, their relation with nature was entirely different as that of the Spaniards when they came in. And that's when it started. You can track it down to colonization, to the moment when the natural resources started to be ridiculously exploited. When the Americans first came to Puerto Rico in 1898, we see it's been a colony of Spain to become a colony of the United States. Economically speaking, Puerto Rico depended mostly on sugar at the beginning of the 20th century. And that took a toll, obviously, on the land because these big companies came in and it started to be a huge business instead of maybe family-oriented haciendas that were smaller. So when the big companies started to take over, they needed huge areas to cultivate the sugar cane and the entire landscape changed. Somehow, the Puerto Rican parrot managed to survive all of these changes and developments. But things started to look bad for them in the 1950s. How people offered the birds a helping hand after the break. Welcome back. Before the break, we left the Puerto Rican parrots in the 1950s when their numbers really started to tank. Mariana, when did people step in to intervene? In 1968, ornithologists realized the birds were on the brink of extinction. But there were still parrots remaining, all of them only in El Yunque, on the eastern side of the island. So they established the Puerto Rican Parrot Recovery Program there. The Puerto Rican Parrot Recovery Program relies uh, very heavily on a captive breeding and a release program. Tania Martinez is the project leader for the Puerto Rican Parrot Recovery Program, also in Utuado, where Ricardo works. So birds are raised in captivity, hatched in captivity, and eventually they go through uh, stages to prepare them, uh, to prepare some of them to be released in the wild. Not all the birds can be liberated. Some must be kept in captivity in order for the program to succeed. So these birds will find mates and create families, all in captivity. So when birds start to pair up, they, they begin to do these uh, special uh, dances. They'll flare their tails and they'll spread their wings and they'll vocalize. And, and they'll engage in, in this very sort of uh, loving behavior while they, they will preen each other and uh, they will exchange food, uh, regurgitate into each other's mouths. And of course, they'll eventually copulate. The program in El Junque started slow. At first, they used a military building as an aviary, but the birds refused to breed in captivity. 
Years passed. They came to realize the building was too humid and crowded, but they didn't have another place to put them at the time. It took nine years for the first successful chicks to hatch in captivity, but they were seeing success. There were between 44 and 47 parrots in the wild. Then, in 1989, everything changed. Hurricane Hugo struck. Most of those parrots disappeared due to the hurricane, so the recovery project decided to call for backup. They brought Dominican parrots into the project to raise the Puerto Rican chicks. Both the Dominican and Puerto Rican parrots are of the Amazon species. Amazon parrots are often gregarious and relatively large birds from tropical areas in Latin America and the Caribbean. So because it's, a, it's another Amazon species, similar size, uh, similar behavior, they could use these, uh, these parrots to rear these naive Puerto Rican parrots. These Dominican parrots saved the Puerto Rican parrots, but there was a trade-off. They also changed their culture. Parrots learn their vocalizations. They're not sort of genetically uh, passed from parents. Offspring have to learn and model their vocalizations on uh, other adults of their own species. So these young Puerto Rican parrots were reared by these adults from a different species and that presumably vocalized in uh, ways that were very different from what their own species was vocalizing. So we believe it's possible that these original changes in the dialects might have originated from that. Uh, young parrots would have started modeling their behaviors on these more abundant learning models of a different species. And the Puerto Rican parrots didn't all change to just one single dialect. After Hurricane Hugo, the Puerto Rican Parrot Recovery Project opened a new site in Rio Abajo, where Ricardo lives in the town of Utuado. So after a time, the parrots had four distinct populations, two in the wild and two in captivity at El Junque and Rio Abajo. Basically, we started recording the vocalizations from a significant number of individuals within each of these populations. And what we found was that there was a divergence between vocalizations that had emerged over time. You could basically uh, categorize, you could distinguish each population just from its vocalizations alone. If you pay close attention, you'll be able to distinguish the different vocalizations of each of these parrots, the sounds are part of Tanya's research on different parrot vocalizations. El Junque Captive Parrots. El Junque Wild Parrots. Rio Abajo Captive Parrots. Rio Abajo Wild Parrots. That was her caca. And the importance of these vocalizations is more than just the accent. It changes so many aspects of how they live. Parrots are incredibly social animals. They depend on their vocalizations for a lot of their life activities. They use vocalizations to coordinate uh, foraging, uh, joining of new flocks, finding food resource. And this is a concern for Tania and the scientists when they are thinking about releasing the birds. Because it's possible that these different vocalizations will affect how well a bird can integrate between different populations. But though their language had changed, they were thriving in the wild. 
in the decades after Hurricane Hugo, the Puerto Rican pirate population was doing quite well. We really were on, on sort of our highest high as a conservation program. All of the uh, the different agencies that were involved in this program were, were reporting just really great positive numbers and reached a number of milestones. The wild population in Ajunque uh, had reached a, a new high. We were in the initial stages of starting a new population in the Maricao State Forest in the southwest of the island. And the Rio Bajo population had over 130 birds in the wild, which was uh, at that time a record for the wild population. Things were going smoothly until one day in September 2017. Hurricane Maria was the most devastating event in the history of the Puerto Rican Parrot uh, Conservation Program. Of course, Huracan Maria was not just devastating for our parrots. Puerto Rico has endured quite a few crises lately, including bankruptcy, school closures, the crumbling of the health system, and massive movement of the local population to the states. But none of them have been worse than Hurricane Maria. In September of 2017, a Category 5 hurricane slashed the island from coast to coast, leaving behind widespread destruction, darkness, and death. At that time, Ricardo was already living in Rio Abajo, a place so isolated that even in normal times, he only goes to the grocery store once a month. After the hurricane, in the days after the hurricane, we were completely isolated because so many trees fell on the road that it was very difficult to come here. And what really impressed me was how dark were the nights. Rio Abajo, is one of the darkest spots in the island. But if you go up a hill, you can see the light domes of the city. I will go up a hill and see nothing. And I will say, oh my God, who is going to rescue us if the whole place is damaged so severely? Ricardo spent more than a year surviving on power provided by generators. El Junque suffered as well. Here's Tania. The wild population in El Junque was almost completely lost. They basically ended up with, with almost no survivors, and, and they had to start their entire release program over again. So we basically ended up going backwards in conservation program time for about 10 years. It had been nearly 20 years since Hurricane Hugo. We had more technology, more everything since then. But the devastation to the infrastructure and the systems we all relied on was even worse. I remember the brief silence after the hurricane in San Juan, when the wind stopped before people turned back to the streets to go on with the loudness of daily life. I can only imagine the silence in El Junque. Immediately after the hurricane, all of our focus was really just about stabilizing operations uh, fixing the infrastructure, rebuilding cages, making this, uh, these captive breeding facilities functional. And it wasn't just the captive birds they had to worry about. The hurricane destroyed the food sources for the wild birds. The entire wild population uh, would just descend on these uh, feeding platforms uh, and they were just completely ravenous. 
Um, and we ended up having to to fill the, these feeding stations multiple times a day just so that the birds would have enough to eat because there just wasn't enough food around. And whatever food was around, they would be competing with every other fruit-eating bird species that's out there and is also uh, starving and trying to get something to eat. The program in Rio Abajo was also devastated. Estimates placed the wild population before Maria at 134. And after the hurricane, it was cut almost in half to 75. It takes an organized effort by public and private groups to preserve the parrots and the habitat it needs to thrive. It also takes a lot of patience. It took us a long time to get a sense of normalcy after the hurricanes of 2017. Hurricanes Irma and Maria transformed our collective thinking. Community projects flourished all over the islands in an effort to survive despite the circumstances, the lack of basic services and even food. The forests, also transformed by the powerful winds, started to rebuild themselves quickly. The green landscape we are used to started to make its way back in a matter of weeks. Some things eventually went back to normal, like the complacency that usually drives people to indifference. But a new normal emerged, in which we decided as communities that we would work together to build a different present. And we continue to struggle with a precarious electrical system and an incompetent administration. But we are still here, and so are the parrots. Elsewhere in Puerto Rico, a bird called the Julian Chivi reveals the story of a community banding together to protect a species, its environment, and ultimately the people themselves. Because I understand that I live in a colony, and when you live in a colony like Puerto Rico, you learn to create a lot because there are so many things that happens in our history and our society that if you don't use your courage to create something, you get mad. That's next week on Threatened. This episode was produced by Mariana Reyes-Sanglero, Joanne Hill-Rivera, and me, Ari Daniel. It was edited by Caitlin Pierce of the Rough Cut Collective and Laura Marina Borea. It was sound designed and mixed by Sam Johnson and Camilo Garzon. Fact-checking by Connor Guerin. Our theme song and original music were composed by Ian Koss, with additional music by Christian and Modesto Nieves, Pasillo Sonoro, and Blue Dot Sessions. Threatened is a production of BirdNote and overseen by content director Allison Wilson. You can find a transcript of this show and additional resources, BirdNote's other podcasts, and much more at birdnote.org. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>